inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Good morning. Wow, it's very loud in here. Welcome to Outlook. It's very loud in here. Yeah, there's uh, some clattering and some loud, screechy horns. And The question is, where is here? Where the heck are we? I don't yeah, who's know. to know? Well, generally people are at home, I guess, for the most part. Um, but this clip you sent me that we're listening to here in the background, and I guess you weren't at home when you recorded this a few weeks ago? Well, I was just out, out my door down my street. Um, yeah, this was, was it two weeks um, about over two weeks ago now, um, I participated in one of the thanking the healthcare workers uh, so at seven o'clock. My neighbors on my street and I, we all went out. So that clip there is me. I, I, I basically grabbed a the lid from a um, roasting pan and a uh, plastic serving spoon, slotted spoon, and I just. So I would hold the pot with the handle on top on one hand, and then I would hit the side of it with the, the spoon, and it made a nice clanging sound. Kind of, kind of to me, sounds like those bells—the ringing warning bells at the train crossings. Yeah, we've heard that in well in Woodstock growing up, and then in London, I've heard that too. And very clang <clears throat> in a car with someone or whatever, and they get to the train tracks. But that was me, and then uh, the one of the girls down the street, she had like an air horn, and they had like party horns, and um. Yeah, so you I, know, I I often wonder if those things are really doing something good. If it, I don't know. Some people say it it helps. Other people says it's doing nothing really of substance. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know too much. I, I mean, I've heard I had heard that people were doing that to recognize all of the people out working, um, the essential workers in these times. But um, I haven't actually heard any of it myself. Where I live here in London, I've never heard. Anything like that going on outside, and um, yeah, I'm not really sure. It has a neat sound to it, though, so that was kind of a nice little addition well, to I our just, show. Yeah, I just thought it would start off on Monday morning. Yeah, it's try to energy. wake everyone up, depending on... Well, for me, I find it hard to sort of to keep a routine, even though it's what I need to be doing, because in these times, one day blends into the next, not even... You know, even before all this, I didn't have a have a full-time job, but I was getting out to come to the station to do both shows, whereas now we're doing these from home, so it's just different. Yeah, Monday was our day. But uh, yeah, welcome to Outlook, if I didn't say that already. It's been a few weeks since we've been on the air, just a little different recording it this way, but I'm happy that we can bring to you another live show where I'm in London here and I have Carrie over FaceTime. Yeah, and you're listening to 94.9 CHRW Radio Western. Uh, on this Monday morning. Hope everybody's keeping well with staying at home type things as as a, we'll see what happens in the next few weeks 
whenever things opening up again slowly, I guess, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, um, who knows, right? But I just thought we would share that, and I wanted to um, see how you've been up, how you've been doing, share a few things of what I've been up to, but mostly we, on the show today, we have a tribute to, um, if you haven't heard of her, she, I mean, she's pretty well known in Canada, so, but, um, but yeah, she's a, she's, she was a children's author. Are we going to um, say what her name was? passed away, her passed away last month. Jean Little. Yeah, so I'd heard the name Jean Little before. I'm not really sure when. Uh, the name did sound familiar to me, but I couldn't think. I was thinking when I heard that she had passed away, I was trying to remember, like, oh, where have, did I read any of her books? I think I knew she was an author, but I didn't really know who it was. But then I looked through a list of all her books, and it turns out I don't think I ever have read her books, but I probably mentioned it a few times when I was growing up as she was primarily a kid's author, although did write a couple autobiographies, I believe. Yeah. So um, as a writer myself, I just, um, I, you know, I can't pretend that she was my favorite. Uh, and we have some tributes um, that we're going to end the show with today that from a few people who she has meant more to. But um, I'm pretty sure I I read something of hers growing up. But I mean, obviously, it wasn't something that stuck with me. And I didn't become, you know, obsessed with her catalog of books or anything. Now, when you heard um, the name when you'd found out that she died and you heard the name Jean Little, did you remember that name at all and th- or remember that she was blind? Oh, yeah. No, I knew okay, that. so you did know I that. Had... I, I can't remember. <laughs> I, I, I had tried to write. I actually wrote her a letter once. Okay, so I'm, you, you were, tried... it seems like you were a little, you were more aware of her than I was growing up, even though you Yeah, didn't. well, I think so, yeah. I tried to contact uh, multiple writers over the years. Um, Robert Munch, I, <laughs> I emailed once, uh, and Jean Little. And I never heard back from Jean, um, but I know someone who did. So she did have a lot of fan mail, I'm sure, from a lot of Canadian children and children probably around the world. Uh, because, yes, she was primarily a children's uh, author um, with a few autobiographies in there and some so you, young, younger books, books for you know youth, but also picture books for younger children, too, which is, I think is pretty cool. Yeah, and I but, mean... Um, like I, yes. like I was trying to say was that even though, or I guess I wasn't trying to say it, but I'll say it now, even though I didn't read her books and I don't know much about her, it, it is still something I agreed with you when you suggested this as a topic for the show, because our show being focused on, on blind people, specifically blind people in Canada, it's, it's um, always rewarding when you hear about someone who was successful, who was blind. So I think it's very important to recognize her on this show. Yeah, it's funny. There's um, there's this woman who's actually in the in the U.S. Um, I heard her through the National Federation of the Blind, but she calls herself the Blind History Lady. She's all into looking up history, um, blind and people with disabilities um, over the years. So a lot of them who don't get recognition, kind of like Helen Keller or something, or even Jean Little. But anyway, um, yeah, I think it's important. And I actually saw somebody else in Canada posting about different blind people in history. And, and I think we should, I should maybe look into those names. Yeah, actually, um, on the Canadian Federation of the Blind mailing list, um, which you can find out about if you go to, if you send an email to info at cfb.ca. Um, but um, it's a list that people can post 
about any issues related to disability or blindness or whatever whatever they like and yeah there was a there was a posting recently about successful or like memorable blind canadians and there were a few mentioned on there and a lot of them i really hadn't heard of some some doctors from the past and stuff like that so it's definitely something to look into in the future to try to find out about more blind canadians in history and even in the present obviously but but yeah for sure gene little is a good um I guess, case study of the 20th century. Um, you know, she did do a lot um, that, as we say, representation matters in literature and media, um, you know, in all kinds of jobs. That's partly what the Canadian Federation of the Blind is, is always um, advocating for. Uh, so a lot of kids growing up see themselves represented uh so i think that was one thing i was grateful for for gene Lit with gene little growing up even even as i admittedly say here now that i wasn't a huge reader as a kid i mean i read books uh, and you and i used to get books from the cnib library in toronto we used to get talking books and braille books uh and i read a lot of books over the years that i'm not remembering and i kind of wish i had kept track better of all the books i have read because a lot of them didn't stick for certain reasons, depending on probably the time, uh, you know, I was reading it. Um, but I'm pretty sure I have read her books, at least one. Uh, maybe her autobiography. Um, she has a famous um, autobiography called Little by Little. Um, we were just talking before the show started about how the, the play on the name Jean Little is kind of interesting, too. Yeah, so since her passing, you said you did read or you have been reading something from her? You told me about Yeah, it? so she... She passed away on April 6th. Which sometimes uh, ends, ends up happening for me with music too, where there's certain people in music that I'm not as like interested in, but I haven't spent too much time with them. And then when they pass away, it's like, oh, I maybe I should investigate them more. And in some ways that's kind of a sad way of things happening. But at the same time, at least it's kind of common, I guess, in the arts and stuff too, where, I mean, not in her yeah, case. Yeah, I mean, at least, at least you're she finding did out about them at some point. Yeah, right? So it's better late than never, but it just kind of sometimes unfortunate in that sense but at least Jean Little did have success during her life and did see the this it didn't just happen yeah, after she passed away that's right? what's exciting um, but go back sorry go on about what you were reading from her well I was just going to tell say a bit more about Jean first okay. um, so yeah she was born in 1932 yeah so she passed uh, away um, as I said back in early April and April the 6th at age 88 so she did live a nice long long life Oh, yeah. And I mean, I'm glad we got to talk about this at least um, in May before the, this month ended, because like you said, it took us a while to get back on air yeah, and to get, get around. It's been over a month this. since this happened. But these days, sometimes things are a little delayed in the news and everything anyway, because it's kind of hard yeah. to keep track. Um, and she lived most of her most of her life in Guelph, Ontario. She lived in other places as well, but that was her primary location, especially yeah, uh, just, in the later years. She um, was born in Taiwan right yeah i read but, that i didn't um, realize that but she was still born with um, from canadian parents yeah so her parents were canadian missionaries so um eventually they came back here when she was a kid and um she lived in toronto and then she lived most of her life in guelph um but she you know she got an english degree after i think she maybe was in one special education class as a kid but then um was in her um neighborhood school and then, like I said, got to go to university and got English degrees and a whole bunch of, you know, education. And, um, but yeah, so I, 
I think we're trying to figure out how blind she was. And I think she was born with um, scarred corneas, but I don't think she was totally blind. Yeah, it's most of her from life. what I was reading, she was uh, partially blind since birth because of the um, scars on her cornea. And um, she frequently used a guide dog throughout her life. I think more so maybe a bit later in her life. Oh, yeah, I think she was a big guide dog person. Um, but, yeah, it sounded like she was a big guide dog person, which we talk about on the show enough. The difference between a guide dog and a cane, Carrie and I are both cane users at the moment, but previously having guide dogs, or at least or one guide dog each in the past. Um, but, yeah, going back to Jean, she was partially blind as a kid. I think she regained some of her sight, um, but then later on in life it got worse again, and she did have to get a prosthetic eye and got gl- gl- glaucoma. Yeah, she's kind of like her and I are kind of similar. We both have artificial left eyes. Yeah, and again, that's always a question eyes. that we that comes up on the show is how blind is someone? And it's everyone does have a different level of sight when they're blind, so it's hard to compare. Obviously, prosthetic eye and you with your artificial eye too, like um, you can't see at all out of that side. Um, but it's hard to know exactly how much someone can see. And it from from the gist of things, it sounded like she used to be able to see a bit better. To be able to function in a regular school, even though she probably didn't, her sight wasn't the best, she could still function, but that later on in life, which often is the case, she, her sight worsened, and then she did have to resort to um, dictating to a tape recorder, I was reading, as well as using early text-to-speech programs on computers, which these days with our phones and dictate and all this has come a long way, but um, she was using that back in the day. So it makes me believe that she probably didn't read Braille. Yeah, I think she read large print uh, as much as she could growing up, uh, but I don't think she ever learned Braille. She just, as a as a writer who, you know, as a reader, she listened to a lot of audio books on tape and things, I think, uh, as she grew, grew older. Um, but yeah, she'll, she basically, people, so I listened to an interview of her recently. I found one on YouTube that was actually really interesting. Um, she was one of those women with like one of those sort of raspier sounding voices. Uh, if, so if you can kind of picture that, kind of like a smoker's voice, but that's not always what, how, how I just describe it. doesn't mean everybody that has it is a smoker. But <laughs> but um, anyway, she was talking about, because she, she got that question a lot about, oh, so a few, since some of her characters were, um, were blind in a few of the books and a few, and a few others had disabilities, they, you know, they asked her how much of her were in these characters she would write, uh, but... Um, you know, authors obviously there's pieces of their of themselves in their writing, but a lot of them write to get out of themselves. So I think she wrote, and I think her ability was basically the ability to be able to translate onto a page and into characters um, what it was like to grow up. So she just knew what it was like. She, I think she was bullied growing up, and so it's being the underdog type character a lot. Um, and, if, you know, like a few of the books having characters with cerebral palsy or blindness, um, dealing with fitting in and things. But I think she was just really good at, at, you know, some people are just really good at writing for children. They're just, they're really good at being childlike. They're able to put themselves into these characters and uh, and then it just helps people, like I said, feel not alone and feel represented and yeah, it, so I think that was great. Creates a sense of belonging for for other children who are reading her books who found out that she was blind and they realized, oh, we're like I'm blind too, or I have a cerebral palsy or whatever disability it may be. And one of the interesting things I read about too, 
um, which I probably would definitely have a better perspective on if I had read her books. But um, I'd read that many of her books, as they were written uh, several decades ago, they serve as examples of how children with disabilities were previously raised in society. And that's not to say that things are totally better these days, but compared to what they were in the past, I'm sure things have are always getting better. So it's hard to imagine what um, what sort of... Yeah, I mean, she obviously had enough sight, I think, um, so that she, like I said, was, was able to be in school in her own neighborhood and things. Uh, I think in, the, you know, the 40s and the 50s, um, when you're totally blind, it was harder to be educated with other kids in your neighborhood um, than it was if you had just, like you said, your partial sight, whatever you want to call it, however you like to word that. Um, and, you know, it doesn't always matter. That is one of the main questions we get. How much do you see? And, of course, it's a natural curiosity. But, um, but yeah, she just wrote about the times. So that was interesting. You know, like she was born into the Depression, obviously, era, um, living through World War II. Um, but she, one interesting thing she pointed out in her interview on YouTube there was that, uh, you know, her mother was a doctor. Uh, she has her mother's diaries from like 1918 when her mother was in in, in medical school. Um, but she, she pointed out that the characters she would write in, say, the 60s when she started putting out books um, were like women who were homemakers. And she said it was like, you'd think she grew up with her mother as a strong female working doctor, that she would put that into her books. But she still grew up in a time when most women, their place was in the home. So that's sort of what still came out in her books. But yeah, I just think it's a great study of the history that she lived through, like I said, the 20th century, mostly. Yeah, and um, it also, an interesting point about that I read is, even though a lot of her novels did deal with sadness and um, serious illness and abuse and death and all of this stuff, the endings of her books were usually very optimistic, just to show the resilience of children and how we do adapt. And that's a common yep. thing that we talk about being blind is, is even though things are different and can be difficult at times, it's like anything. If you, if you have the resilience and the, the strength to, to fight things and to push on and it's, it's can be difficult sometimes because you, you don't always want to have to be. But kids are, kids are, are very good at that. So that's just, that's obviously what she, what she was able to write in most, like a lot of children's books try to have, have, have a happy ending, but um, I can sort of say the book that I, I can sort of talk about the book I did read of hers. Yeah, I was going to see if we can get back to that, mention it briefly. Um, so like we said, we, I was trying to look back and think of the books of hers I may have read, maybe um, maybe little by little, or maybe one of her, at least one of her fiction fiction stories. But, but um, I, I discovered when I was reading about her the last few weeks that she actually wrote a book about a little girl who had a diary during the 1918 flu epidemic um, or pandemic, I guess. So I sort of thought it was fitting for the times when I discovered that. So basically I went and I went to um, the website that I like to advocate here, nels.ca. So N as in November, N-N-E-L-S dot C-A, which is the National Network for Equitable Library, Library Service equitable library service and um this is a really great resource here in canada that i've been at, you know advocating for for the last few years and um it wasn't accessible to me until 
about a year ago. So I actually went on there and I downloaded, I looked up her name there and I found this book. So um, it's kind of a, makes me a little ooh when I hear the title because it reminds me of a prayer our grandmother used to read to us when we were like little and we'd stay overnight. She had a little prayer book, If I Die Before I Wake, The Flu Epidemic Diary of Fiona McGregor. So when I found that, I just thought it was kind of fitting for the times because I'm actually at this moment writing um, to sort of keep track of this time in history. Um, I'm writing a, 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 in, in diary forms um, entries to my grandmother who died 15 years ago, our grandmother, I guess. So I just thought I would check that book out and um, see something that wasn't her, you know, that wasn't her top three most famous books. Um, I hadn't heard of it before last week but i'm glad i found it at this period point in time yeah so you've been liking it did you did you, have you finished it yep so it's not that long obviously that's the nice thing about a lot of children's lit um and this was uh, um this was in braille or audio or so yeah i went on the website and uh, it i downloaded it in as an audiobook so it was read by a male narr narrator, but uh, it was actually chapter by, or, or diary, ent diary entry by diary entry, which was, a, I, I'm sort of just fascinated by that, diaries these days during war. So basically the book talks about, um, it's it's this, so it was also as someone who's um, interested in Anne Frank's diary, it was good to find another, even though this one's fictional, it still felt interesting to read another child's diary from a sort of famous time in history so it basically starts in the summer of 18 of 1918 and then it ends uh in the march of 2020 and it it's this little girl who gets a diary for her birthday and she's a twin uh and her name's fiona mcgregor and uh she has an older set of sisters who are twins but the neat thing about her si older sisters are that one that was born like the night in the night and the next one was born like after midnight so they're technically born two days apart two days apart or a day apart a day apart um but anyway so yeah it's this family during wartime the father's older so he hasn't gone to war um but in her diary she writes about the different newspaper articles about the different battles that were fought right at the end that was right at the end of the war there so the, the diary covers november uh, 1918 when the war ends right around the same time when the uh, influenza was spreading and showing up in Toronto, um, which is where the story takes place. So basically, you know, not to give away too many spoilers in case anybody wants to check it out, um, fitting for the times, as I said. What was, the, um, what was the title again? Uh, if I Die Before I Wake. Okay. The Flu Epidemic Diary of Fiona MacGregor. And it's actually a, a part of a series called Dear Dear Canada. And it's kind of neat. So a bunch of Canadian um, children's writers, I guess, wrote books which are sort of, they're about, sort of, like I said, certain periods in history. Um, but like World War II and, but yet they're, they're these authors who just wrote about, wrote, wrote, fictional stories about children during certain times in history. So this is one of those. And uh, yeah, there's some sad parts. There's some loss. Obviously you're not going to make it through the war and a, and a flu epidemic and in a book like that and not have some, some loss, but uh, I won't spoil that. 
Yeah, so but we've it, been it talking. Does wrap up all happy like in the end. I was about to ask that. I was going to say, does, does it have <laughs> some sort of an, a positive ending? As I was reading a lot of the books, do it sure does. Um, so yeah, you're still listening to Outlook here on Radio Western. We've been talking about Canadian author Gene Little, rest in peace. And we're down to the last couple of minutes of today's show. Um, we're going to finish up with a few tributes. Actually, um, some people we met from out west through the Canadian Federation of the Blind, who were bigger fans growing up than Carrie and I were, um, recorded some nice little tributes. So we'll be playing those, but I didn't know if there's any other final thoughts we wanted to finish up on. I just wanted to say that she, just like I said, as as, as a writer, she gives me hope, and I think knowing that she's existed for several years now, I think just in the back of my mind, even it get, it's given me hope. And as someone who, as a writer, has had a, a, both a rejection for my writing and an acceptance all here in one week, um, you know, I still hope to write children's <laughs> picture books someday, you know. So anyway, it's just good to have have had her as part of Canadian, Canadian history and in, in, liter- in the literary sort of sphere. Yeah, so... Hope you learned a little bit about Jean Little if you haven't heard of her before. And I'm ex- interested to hear a little bit more about those rejections and acceptances you're just talking about for yourself. But I guess we'll <laughs> talk about that maybe next time. And, it's nothing uh, as nearly as big as uh, getting a book, a, a book deal or anything. But uh, Oh, well, got to start somewhere. All right. So let's listen to these awesome tributes for Jean Little. And uh, that's going to do it. We'll be back uh, hopefully next week. Rest in peace, Jean. Hi, my name is Alex. It was really sad to hear about Jean Little's passing. I'm a big fan of her books, especially from Anna and Dancing Through the Snow. And it's really sad that there won't be any more of them. Hello, my name is Jessica. I was really sad when my friend told me that Jean Little passed away. She was my favorite childhood author, and honestly, she's still my favorite author today. I really remember when I first kind of found out about her, I heard this interview with her and I found out she was this blind author and I was growing up as a blind kid who loved to write stories and I remember thinking it was so cool and then I found out I'd read a book of hers and I just thought that was super cool so um and I loved her books ever since my favorite books right now by her are Willow and Twig and Dancing Through the Snow I just absolutely love them and rest in peace Jean you will be missed Hi, my name is Jocelyn, and I was really sad to hear about Jean Little passing away. Um, Jean Little is my favorite author. Um, she has been since I was a kid. I I really love that a lot of her books um, talk about belonging. Um, as a kid, my favorite book of hers was Spring Begins in March because the protagonist Uh, felt like such an underdog to me and I could relate to that and now I really like uh, Willow and Twig and Dancing Through the Snow because they're just really good stories so rest in peace Jean Find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB and on Facebook Facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.